I promise I won't spend a whole lot of our time this morning talking about football and more specifically the Patriots, but <laughs> just uh, yeah. <laughs> no thank yous, no, no. But just a quick show of hands. Uh, in terms of today, how many of you are rooting for the Patriots uh, in the game today? Okay, good, good. Okay, now another show of hands. How many of you are rooting for the other team? Okay, all right. Well, that's a team that must not be named, okay? How many of you, we'll keep going with this. How many of you, quick show of hands, how many of you don't really care or weren't even really aware that there's a big game going on? Okay, good, good. Now, this is, this, is a, this is a judgment-free zone. So I don't want you to think twice if after the service I only shake hands with the people who raise their hands for the Patriots because this is a, it's a judgment-free zone. <laughs> Today, we're, we're going to be thinking a little bit along the lines of team, it's, it's convenient that today is, is Super Bowl Sunday, but today we're going to be thinking along the lines of team together, as Pastor Chris mentioned just a few moments ago. Last week, we, we briefly touched on, on when, uh, that part of the Apostles' Creed, that when we recite the Apostles' Creed and we confess our faith, we're, we're, we're saying that we believe in this holy Catholic church, this universal body of believers who have as their head, as the central piece that unites them together, Jesus Christ himself. Now, the, 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 the thing that we're going to be unpacking over the next few weeks is this idea of what does it mean to be the church? What is this thing that, that Jesus talks about, his church here on this earth? Now, the team might be a good analogy for the church, but one image that we see used quite a bit in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, is this idea of a body. Paul uh, is one who, who spends quite a bit of time talking about this, this idea of a body. And so where the team analogy actually breaks down for us is that the team is defined by what they do. A, a team is defined by their purpose, by their, by their goal, their, their united goal. But I think where, where we have something different with the church is that the body is not so much defined by what they do, but who they are. The church may be defined by, may have a purpose. We may have a mission that we go on. We all know the Great Commission. We may be aware of the things that Jesus invites his people to do and to accomplish. But that's not what defines us first and foremost. What defines us first and foremost is not what we do, but who we are being made into, namely Christ. This is why the early church fathers chose the words that they did in the Apostles' Creed when we recite it. Let me, let me read it for us one more time today, this morning. And it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Over the next few weeks, I want to encourage us to slow down in these, these few words that talks about the holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. I want us to consider what does it mean to be a part of the church? Because you know what? What we believe about God's universal church, what we believe about the, the body of believers universally, shapes what we understand God doing here at Trinity. 
this local body of believers here at 300 North Benson Road in Fairfield, Connecticut. When we get a glimpse of what God's doing universally with his church and through his church, we get an understanding of what God is going to be doing and is doing right now through our local body of believers here at Trinity. See, this was actually a big part of what the Apostle Paul did when he was discipling believers in the New Testament. He didn't just go and plant churches in certain locations, but when he planted churches, he told them about believers in different locations. He, he, he gathered collections and, and offerings to bring to other churches and other places. He told them of the faith of believers in different places because I think he was concerned to cultivate this communion of the saints, not just to create these pockets of individual churches in different cities, but to unite them in something bigger than themselves. In, in something that said, hey, I'm a part of something that, that's beyond Fairfield. I'm a part of something that God's doing that's beyond 2019. I'm a part of something that's bigger than what God's doing right here. Paul had a lot to say about building up the church. His ministry was about planting churches and seeing them grow. And so this morning, I want to encourage us to turn to one of his letters that he wrote that spends a few chapters looking at this body of believers, this church. It's 1 Corinthians. I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians in our Bibles, if you don't mind. Go ahead and pull out your pew Bibles. We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I'm going to read, I'm going to pick up in the middle of the chapter for us this morning. And over the next few weeks, Pastor Chris and I are going to go through these next few chapters in, in uh, 1 Corinthians and, and unpack together this idea of what does it mean to be a part of the church. So let me read for us this morning 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 12. Paul says this. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I wonder if you'll allow me to pray and give thanks for God's word. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have spoken. You've revealed yourself to your people. You've, re you've revealed yourself to the world. Lord, give us ears to hear your word minds to comprehend what you're saying, hearts to embrace and to believe. And Lord, give us courage and perseverance to live out your word and faith. Thank you for this time. May your Holy Spirit do a work in our hearts and minds and lives as we spend time in your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, so as we turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, and as we consider what Paul's writing here this morning, it's important for us to understand a little bit of the background as, as to what Paul's doing in writing to them. You see, the church in Corinth was facing a bit of divisiveness. It was, it was fa- facing a bit of division and fighting. The culture they, they found themselves in was, was certainly one that, that, in, uh, that encouraged this, and so the church was beginning to be influenced by the culture rather than the church influencing the culture that they were planted in. Listen to what Paul says in the first chapter of his letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of, your, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. See, the, the, the people of God were supposed to be little idols of God. They were, they were supposed to be these little images of God, representatives of God to the world around them. That, that when we were created in God's image, we were these little representations of God that when the world around them sees this image of God, this representation of God, they would be drawn to the idea that they would be drawn to God in seeing who the God of all creation is. In other words, that now that we have Jesus alive in us, we become someone who can reflect God's glory to the world around us in such a way that they can be drawn to to the Lord. The the people of God are supposed to be these little idols, but instead they were becoming just like the culture that they were planted in. They They were blending in rather than standing out. They were blending in as they fought over who was right and who was wrong. They were blending in as they served their own personal needs, as, as they were more concerned about getting what they needed rather than the needs of the people around them within the church. They were blending in as they worshipped the God of self there in Corinth. See, Corinth was a, a Roman colony where, where we're told historically it was, uh, it was, uh, there was, there was a, a, um, a rampant culture of sexual immorality. And not only that, but it was a culture known for worshipping many different gods. But Paul says, nope. Paul says, that's not what the people of God are supposed to be. That's not who you should be as the church. Instead, instead of a community of people jockeying to be better than one another, and instead of a, a community of people who are trying to prove how they're better than the next person or how the gifts that they have make them more important than, than the next, we're supposed to be a part of a body in which every member of that body, every part of that body is equally valuable, is equally needed. In the very beginning of chapter 12, Paul addresses one of these issues that was creating such division in the church. He creates, or sorry, he addresses the issue of spiritual gifts. See, apparently the people of God had been arguing over which gifts made them more important than the next. You know, I, I, I've got the, the gift of preaching and teaching, so I'm better than you. I, I've got the gift of healing, so I'm better than you. But that's not the way it is within the body of Christ. You may remember in Acts, there's a story where uh, Peter and, and I think James are, 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 are um, ministering, and they're he, they heal someone, and there's this magician named Simon who comes and tries to, to purchase this ability to heal, Right? But, but what they have to say is, listen, you got it all wrong. You can't buy this. Spiritual gifts are not something you can buy or, or wield for your own ends. 
to the people of God, they were arguing over these gifts and, and, and really creating these divisions in the church, this hierarchy of importance within the life of the church. As you can imagine, these divisions were not helping the church reflect the glory of God to the, the non-believers in Corinth. Rather than being a light to the world, as Jesus refers to in, in Matthew 5, they were extinguishing that light with their divisiveness. See, I think the Corinthians had gotten a little lost, and somehow the, the, the thought that the spiritual gifts had given them, that God had given them to use, became something that they could brag about or boast about or, or, or think that it was somehow because of them how good they were. But here's the thing. Spiritual gifts are not human abilities. Spiritual gifts are not things that we, that, that we develop ourselves or that we create and, and give to ourselves. They're not abilities that should give us reason to puff up our chest or, or point to ourselves or brag or boast or think more highly of ourselves. So I can, I can brag about a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich I can make in the morning. I can brag. Those are deli- I do a good job making bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. I can brag about the pancakes I make on Saturday morning. They're, I, I've, I've honed that talent. I've honed that skill. I can brag about those things. I can be proud of myself when I fix something in the house or when I cook a nice dinner on the grill. But I don't have grounds to be confident in myself when it comes to teaching or preaching or, or being a pastor. Why? Because spiritual gifts are from God. They're empowered by God, and they're for God's purposes, not Dan's. They're, they're not meant to make me look better or stronger or wiser. Spiritual gifts are from God. They're empowered by God, and they're for God's purposes. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7, he says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Spiritual gifts are from God. They're empowered by God. And they're used for God's purposes. They're meant for the common good of the church, but in, in, instead they, they were being used by the people of Corinth to, to place people in places of power and authority over others, to, 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 to position or jockey yourselves for power, for, for decision-making, and, and, and for, for gathering in things for yourselves. We still do that today, don't we? We can at times elevate the preacher to a place of prominence and not think as highly of the person who held the door for you on the way into the church. We live in a culture uh, where technology has boomed. And, and so now you can go anywhere, you, like Sunday afternoon, I'm saying Sunday afternoon, not Sunday morning, you can go anywhere on, on the internet and follow a, a famous preacher and hear him preach and teach and, and then hold him up on a pedestal as if he's more holy or, or special or righteous. But let me tell you, the gifts he has for preaching and teaching are not his, but are from God, empowered by God, and used for God's purposes. We do this with the teaching gift as well. We judge those who have the gift of teaching on Sunday mornings in Sunday school classes or in Bible studies or in small groups. We judge them as being more important than the person who has the gift of hospitality that creates space for us to enjoy fellowship with one another on Sunday mornings. See, the truth is that God gave us spiritual gifts to build up unity in his church and not disunity. 
Our many and different spiritual gifts should lead us to, toward greater unity as the community of Christ, to be one body, to be one community, one, one family of God. And this family should reflect the image of Christ to the world around us. There's our purpose. There's our mission. But we get that coming out of our identity, first and foremost, as the unity we share in Christ. Paul says this in verse 12 of our chapter. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. See, this imagery of a group of people being a body is not necessarily original to Paul. There was a, 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 a contemporary of Paul named Seneca. He was a Roman philosopher. And he used this imagery to talk about society. He used the imagery of a body to talk about how, how society is a body and how we all need one another for the good of society. Now, here's the problem. Seneca's use of, of the imagery of body was grounded in the common purpose of society, the, the common purpose that everyone served to, 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 to provide a healthy and prosperous society. But Seneca also used that to, to acknowledge that, that there was a hierarchy in society, and those who were of lesser value had a duty, had a responsibility to serve the common good, the, the common purpose of society. And so each person in society was a part of that body. But see, for Paul... The church isn't a gathering of people who share a like mind, a common purpose, like Seneca was referring to. For, for Paul, the church isn't just gathering all the people of like mind into a similar place and calling it a church. See, we do that for concerts. We do that for professional sports. We're going to do that later today for the Super Bowl. You're going to look in that stadium. You're going to see everyone there who is of like mind that they want to watch and enjoy a football game. These people... They're called fans. But Jesus doesn't call us to be fans. He calls us to follow him in faith and become a part of his family. For Paul, the church is not a, a gathering of fans of Jesus. The church is Jesus manifest to the world. Think about this for a minute. Let me slow down on this. See, we are the body of Christ living in this world, and we are the tangible presence of Jesus to a world in need of his light. This was a concept that I think Paul was introduced to while he was still Saul. You may remember that before Paul became Paul, he was Saul. And he used to actually persecute the followers of Jesus. In the beginning of Acts, we can see some of his story unfold. And as he journeys on the road to Damascus, Jesus meets him in a miraculous way and calls him into a life with him. You may remember what, what Jesus says to him in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? See, he doesn't say to Paul, why are you persecuting my church? Or why are you persecuting my people? Or why are you persecuting my followers? He says, why do you persecute me? See, Paul teaches us that the church is not a, a gathering of God's people because we have a like-mindedness or shared purpose but because we are spiritually united in Christ. For all those people that Saul had been persecuting, they, they weren't people who were card-carrying members of the church. They were part of Jesus' body. And so Jesus could say to, to Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
even though he persecuted the members of Jesus' body. Paul teaches the church isn't just a gathering of God's people because they have like-mindedness, but because they're spiritually united in Christ. And so here in our passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says, all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Uh, Christ's body is made up of many members. You, me, we're many members of one body. See, I think Paul's making a point here that the church is first and foremost defined not by this common purpose, but by a common person. This person of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're not a church because we've been given the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to, to go forth and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded us, or commanded them. We're a church because individually we are first and foremost spiritually rooted in Jesus Christ through faith. That's what makes us a church, because our relationship is first and foremost defined by our relationship to Jesus. The one body that we're all members of by faith is the body of Jesus. And not only are we one body, but we're one body made up of many members. And what we're going to see Paul talk about is that those many members are of equal value. That's different than what the Roman culture, Seneca, proposed. Because we're one body in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says in verses 13 through 17. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now, as I mentioned a few moments ago, the Corinthian church struggled with spiritual gift envy and comparison. They, they were concerned about coveting the gifts that other people had and feeling like they're less important because they don't have that more visible gift for people to see and, and to celebrate and to worship. So when Paul tells them that they've been baptized into one body, when he tells them that they were all made to drink of one spirit, he's correcting this false idea that some people have more measures of the spirit than others, that some people have, have been given more of God's presence than others, that some people have been given more of God's better giftings than others, and so some people in the church are more important than others. What I believe Paul's teaching is that, that the spirit was given to the body of Christ, See, I think Paul teaches this as a way of kind of leveling the playing field and saying, hey, no, 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 no. It's not the, the, the preachers and teachers who are most important. It's not those who have the gift of prayer and healing that are more important. It's that they're all equal, all valuable in the body of Christ. All are needed. All are valuable. And so Paul teaches that, that the Spirit was given to the body of Christ at Pentecost. When, when the Holy Spirit baptized those followers in the upper room, it means that if you believe in Jesus, if you become a part of the body of Christ, if you become a member of God's family, you equally and fully receive the Holy Spirit. It, it means that we don't celebrate the foot over the, or the hand over the foot or, or, or the eyes over the ears. 
It's, it's this false teaching that, that to hold up the, the preacher or teacher is more important than those whose gifts are different from theirs. But see, here's the thing. If we all had the same gift or, or if we valued one gift over another, we would cease to be the body of Christ. We would cease to be able to accomplish what Christ has given us to accomplish, to, to live out the, the, the things that, that Jesus intends to accomplish in this world. So like the Corinthians, we've all been given spiritual gifts from God to be used for his purposes. But that's where the Corinthians went wrong. See, they thought those spiritual gifts were to be used for their own purposes. They were like Simon the magician. They thought that they could receive benefit or gain from exercising these spiritual gifts in such a way that, that fed their needs and their purposes. It kind of made them feel good when people praised them for the things that they were doing. See, that's true for us too. We can, we can go astray with that as well, can't we? Part of our growth through the Holy Spirit is, is learning to identify what our gift is and then grow in, in practicing it and using it for God's glory and for his purposes, not for our own gain or our own benefit. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all a part of that church and we all need each other. Listen to the emphasis that Paul puts on this when he's writing to the church in Rome. He says this in Romans 12. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. We may have different functions, but that doesn't mean that we're any less valuable, that the gifts that God's given us to use make us more or less valuable than the next person. We all serve different functions, but we are individually members of one another. Look around the room. Think about the people you see at coffee hour. Understand that you are individually members of one another through Jesus Christ. If I cut off my hand this morning, my body would have, have to figure out how to operate with only one hand. I'd have to adjust. I'd be at a disadvantage in the things I'm doing Learning to live life with only one hand as opposed to the two that God had given me. Not only that, but the hand that I cut off would soon die. I don't if there's anyone in the medical community, you could tell me how long that might take. But, but the, the hand that's separated from the body would soon become dead because there's no longer life flowing to it, sustaining it, and holding it up and keeping it moving forward. See, we are members of one another. We need each other. We need the church, and the church needs us. I hope you're not here this morning sitting in the pews thinking this is a nice place to be on Sunday morning because you are here not to receive but to give as well. And I'm not talking about when, well, yeah, you can give to the offering plate when it passes by, but that's not what I was talking about when I said that. I'm talking about a relationship with the church of, of Jesus in such a way that the church needs you, and you need the church. See, we're not individuals who share a common affinity for God. We're spiritually united with God through Jesus, and with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and with one another through the Holy Spirit. And this is all accomplished because of the will of God. It's not because of my own power or strength. It's not because of my own desires or my own passions. It's because of the will of God. Take a look at these last few verses in our passage this morning. Picking up in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, 
each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. See, spiritual gifts, they're from God. They're empowered by God, and they're for God's purposes. The the Corinthians had lost sight of that. What they had was a bunch of individuals all over the place, not walking and living and working together for God's common purposes. They were serving their own purposes, their own needs, their own kind of God of self, rather than living life with the body. They were like hands that had been separated and cut off from the body, and things were not going so well. See, it's God who determines our role in the body of Christ. God who determines our value. And, and as Moses declared way back in Deuteronomy 10, God does not show partiality. It's who he is. His love is complete for you. His love is complete for me. His value, he values us equally. And, and it's not something where we wield the gifts that God's been given for us so that we can posture ourselves as better than the person next to us. The body needs two hands. The body needs two eyes. The body needs a heart. The body needs a a, a brain. The church needs feelers. The church needs thinkers. The church needs teachers. The church needs caregivers. The church needs administrators. The church needs shepherds. See, if we all had the gift of mercy, we wouldn't get very far because we wouldn't know how to exercise that gift of mercy without someone who's got the gift of administration. If we all had the gift of teaching, we would all be like clanging cymbals, talking about the truth of God, not knowing how to apply it and live it out without those who have the gift of mercy and caregiving. We are members of one another. We are better together because together we are spiritually united and are the manifested body of Christ. We are the light of the world. Jesus describes his church in Matthew 5 as this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints which is from God, empowered by God, And for God's purposes, that we might be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Instead, be the visible presence of Jesus to a world that's covered in darkness and groaning for his light. Believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have, Lord, that you have shaped your body here in this world. Lord, that your body is on the move in this world. That your light is being carried to the darkest corners of this world right now as we speak. Lord, I pray for your church here at Trinity. That the people of God might sense within them that stirring to understand their relationship with your church to understand what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. Lord, we we thank you and we give you praise for the many ways and the blessings we receive through your church. 
the sense of fellowship and, and, and communion, the, the, the love and grace we receive through your body. Lord, we, we ask that you would give us greater clarity and, and challenge us to understand how we contribute to your body. Because, Lord, we believe that though your body is yours, that, that it that is empowered, it's given life by you, and that it serves your purposes, we understand that we're a part of that. So, Lord, use us. Use your people, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this morning as we continue to worship the Lord, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward and serve us.